Hello, hello. Welcome to our Job the Stamp podcast. If it is your first time tuning in, welcome. And if you've been following the gang for a while, welcome back, my friend. This podcast showcases talented young scientists from different parts of the world who, with their undeniable passion for science, dedicated mindset, diligent work, and exceptional achievements in the STEM fields, are making a lasting impact today for a brighter tomorrow. We also infuse science with the humane aspect of it, showcasing the person beyond the project board. The guests are ISAF, USIS, SIUS, RSI, and ITEM alumni. You can discover more about that on www.dropthestand.com, linked in our bio. If you enjoy listening for the episode and think this is worth tuning into, feel free to share it with others tagging the pod because we love seeing some supportive queens and kings. And now, let's jump right into the episode and discover who is gonna be dropping the stand today. Well, hello, hello. Today is a special episode. This is the first thematic one with some awesome people in the house, wonderful young scientists. First of all, Alice Chai, founder of Boss and Line and member of the Drop the Stem gang as well. Check out episode 33. We have Ari Cartman, founder of Synthetics, who also dropped the stem. 14 is the lucky number here if you want to check out our previous conversation. And the protagonists of today's episode of the six-week Boss Online course, The Science and Ethics of Synthetic Biology by Synthetics are Kinjal Nagindas and Brian Chen. So welcome, guys, in the pod. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm glad that you're here. And we're going to start off with a little bit of background about Buzz Online. So, Alice, I'm interested to get to know from you. What was the motivation behind establishing Buzz Online? Yeah, so Buzz Online is basically a digital educational community. And the motivation behind establishing it was a response to quarantine and the lack of learning and socialization um, that we suddenly found ourselves with during quarantine because of the closing down of schools. Um, and so my co-founder, Minnie, and I decided to found this community in order to address that lack and also lighten the burden for parents and families who are already dealing with a lot during these times. And so it's, it's in part to alleviate some of the problems we saw during this time and in part to try and also bring some innovation into the education landscape, which is known to be quite stagnant. And you make education accessible in this social distancing age, but you also form a community with the students hosting a variety of courses. Before diving deeper into Buzz Online, what have been some of your takeaways What do students most enjoy about your courses? Yeah, so I think that some of our major takeaways revolve around what actually works in learning and in digital learning communities, um, which is is project-based courses. So when students are actually performing projects and creatively applying the skills and concepts that they learn during lectures, Um, it's much more effective than if they're just intaking information like the banking model of education. You know, that's that's very much a 1900s thing. And it's it's now the 21st century. And we got to advance education, modernize education in a way that can help students transition to adulthood and create a meaningful impact 
on, on humanity through the skills that they learn. So that's what I think students have enjoyed the most is um, both, both uh, being able to create passion projects and apply skills and also being able to communicate with their peers, you know, get critique, engage in debates and just have a sense of community online. Absolutely. In some sort of sense, it's not just a school of knowledge, but a school of life as well. And what I love about Buzz Online is that you make it enjoyable and you bring in people who are established young scientists or innovators who are authentic and can communicate with the students in a very effective way. I know that you have some courses coming up. Maybe there are some students or even parents, heck, listening to this episode who would want to get to know more about this organization. What should they know? Yeah, so I guess I'll start with some of the core values of Buzz um, that lie at the heart of what we are. When we were initially developing this, we realized that there were lots of educational resources out there on the internet. You know, you can learn almost any basic subject you want, but there are certain crucial elements of learning that kids can't find online, which is a real sense of mentorship and community. Because uh, generally online learning is quite like depersonalized and you know minimally interactive. Um, so courses at Buzz really center around that sense of interaction. Our teachers are youth from across the world who are highly accomplished and recognized in the areas that they're teaching, like you mentioned, whether that be writing or scientific research, you know, math, business, and they mentor our kids in passion projects. So instead of the standard memorization regurgitation model, we, we focus on having kids creatively apply concepts. Um, they can write novels, they can conduct research, and a lot of times they integrate skills from different fields. Um, like creating art from code or computer design or writing scientific newsletters, um, recording podcasts. And, and that's one of the things we emphasize is the interdisciplinary perspective, as well as the human impact of these academic topics, because that's the type of thinking and working style that, um, that our future really needs. And so that's what led us to collaborate with Synthetics, Synth Ethics on this interdisciplinary course examining, you know, the ethics as well as the science behind synthetic biology. Quite a tongue twister, isn't it? Yeah, synthetics. <laughs> we are also so grateful and so excited to partner up with Buzz Online. Like you said, just wanted to emphasize the fact that science cannot be divorced from society. And it's so great that you create that infusion on the platform of Buzz Online. And now, since we've been talking about synthetics and how that comes into the picture, we also have Eric on the podcast. The course was on the science and ethics of synthetic biology. Eric, could you expand on why infusing ethics with science is so vital? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, first of all, this is a massive question and it has you know, tons of answers. But to answer it briefly, I'd just like to, I'd, I'd like for you to imagine that there is a landscape of scientific innovations. So it's a landscape of peaks and valleys. Uh, there are scientific innovations everywhere. Everywhere you go, you'll find a new scientific innovation. And really what ethics uh, is trying to do in the world of research and the world of innovation is for you to find the most optimal path in that landscape because there are paths in a scientific landscape and a landscape of innovations in which you really don't want it to go in. Uh, those might be paths where you end up in uh, an innovation where, which will 
ultimately be detrimental to mankind. Uh, one example of this emphasized by the philosopher Nick Bostrom at Oxford University uh, is what if an innovation would be microwaving paper creates an atomic bomb? That innovation would be utterly detrimental to mankind because it's so available to everyone and it has such a huge effect. So really before we start innovating, we kind of want to map out roughly where we want to go in that landscape. And I think this is increasingly important now when research is really taking new steps with the development of AI, with the development of biotechnology. Um, we're taking, we're finding paths that we could never find before. And these paths are the ones that lead into the deepest valleys. Uh, that is the most kind of the most detrimental outcomes, but they might also lead us to the highest peaks, the best outcomes. So navigating in that landscape is more important now than ever. And that's kind of the idea uh, behind infusing ethics with science is just finding that perfect, going towards that perfect peak. Yes, you greatly emphasize the fact that there are a lot of times no 100% good or bad decisions in this ethical sphere. So there's really no Manichaean approach to it and it's very nuanced. It really does worth looking into these gray areas and determine the shades of synthetic biology. Just as we say, it's the best to get things right for the first time because that might be the only chance we get. When we're thinking about genetic engineering or editing your genome or any other examples, that's why the educational approach and talking to the younger generation, sharing some of the bits of knowledge we've already received was so vital and that's why I want to ask you about your experience in terms of the course. How would you rate this six-week educational experience? Well, well, first of all, I would definitely give a huge kudos to Alice uh, in creating Bus Online and also in doing it in such a short time span and kind of acting quick on the pandemic. But I definitely think that Bus Online and, and these online educational platforms have a huge impact even after lockdown and after the pandemic is over. So I would, I would definitely say that the, uh, the approach that Boss Online has is quite different. I've been an avid user of Khan Academy and Code Academy and all of these uh, online learning platforms. Even YouTube can act as an online learning platform. Uh, but I, I would definitely say that integrating the more creative tasks and the more tasks that are at hand for the students uh, it's, it's definitely a, a unique thing that Boss Online does. Uh, and I, I, I just want to say huge kudos to Alice and the other, the other people at Boss Online. The experience uh, with the course was absolutely, it was, it was great. It was a completely new way of learning. And it also opened up my eyes to, to kind of teaching. I've been doing some teaching in, in schools where I live in Sweden before. Uh, but this was definitely a different experience and I think it was a better experience, if anything. So it was a great experience. Yeah. You've mentioned you've already done some teaching at a high school level. During this course, what have been some of your takeaways or bits of wisdom you've absorbed? It could be, you know, in terms of teaching a specific content or organizing a course. I know from the organizational part that it's been a bit challenging to navigate this scene and connect with the students. Well, I would definitely say that integrating the student is kind of key to learning. It's, it's kind of what I realized. Uh, in my previous learning, uh, I created some course material on synthetic biology. 
And, and I had some kind of, you know, a standard lecture format. You had lectures and then you had exercises following the lectures. And that's not really a natural way to learn for most people. Most people learn in more of an interwoven effect of a lecture kind of followed by an exercise or doing some research uh, continuously during the course and more of this kind of a more dynamic approach to teaching and to education. So that's definitely something that I will continue to think about when I try to teach people things is to not just have a huge lecture and then following that on some questions about the lecture. Because that's, that's kind of the way I was, I was taught in school and I guess it's kind of affected the way I thought about teaching as well. But that has definitely changed. Yes, essentially getting down to a personal level, connecting with the students is so crucial. And I think in the last century, what you also said and what has permeated our school system is that the teacher is kind of set apart and the class is obliged to learn the material. But I love seeing the transformative effect of making the courses more enjoyable. In terms of the course materials, what we've taught and what have been taught by amazing synthetics members on medicine, agriculture, biotechnology, and artificial intelligence with actually guest lectures from iGEM as well, I think one of the greatest takeaways has been, you know, it just puts my heart and mind to ease that the members of the Z and Alpha generation are seriously considering the ethical impacts of science, want to absorb more knowledge, and potentially make a difference. I don't want it to sound too lofty, but I could see the spark in the students and in Brian as well. So Brian, could you share a bit about yourself, your background and interests? I'm a 10th grade student from New York that has always enjoyed reading, especially about science and science fiction. In school, I always like to participate in science-related events, such as the science ball club, such as the robotics team. And I've even received recognition from competitions, such as Toshiba Explorer Vision. I heard about synthetics from a family member that was also taking it. And I was interested immediately since I was about to take a science research class provided by my school that was focused on biotechnology. I really wanted to learn more about the field, especially the ethics regarding it. Ethics is always mentioned when I hear about biotechnology research, but it's never gone into depth. And I learned a lot from this course. Like how Alice said, the project-based learning was fun and very informative. For example, when I did more research into golden rice, which is an amazing genetically modified organism that can solve vitamin A deficiency. But I learned how in the development, there was some not very ethical research going on with the researchers not getting all the permission they needed and not telling the parents everything. And that really like changed my way of thinking. So whenever I see new biotechnology research, I always like want to learn more about the ethics behind it and know if it was okay or not because of this course. I'm glad to hear that the content taught in the course has shaped your perspective and now you are assessing and analyzing innovations from a different lighting. You've mentioned brown rice. What have been some of the biotechnological advances recently in the current or past decades in agriculture that have just caught your attention? So yes, as I mentioned before, there's the yellow rice that I think has a really high potential for uh, just increasing the happiness of kids because of solving their vitamin A deficiency. And I also heard about other 
biotechnology inventions as well from the last decade that would be really useful, such as I've heard about a possible malaria vaccine. I don't know how successful that is, but I really think that something like that would be very useful. And there's also other agricultural genetically modified organisms that not a lot of people agree with them, but I think that they would help a lot with the way that people live with not having to worry about starvation if genetically modified organisms are more available and easy to grow up and healthier. Absolutely. They could mean a revolutionary biotech path and solving those crucial and pressing problems you've just mentioned. In terms of the course material, one of your assignments focused on the visual representation of the future of medicine. Could you expand on that because it's been infused with art as well? What has been the inspiration behind creating that masterpiece? So that assignment was actually one of my favorites of the course. I'm not a super great artist, but depicting what I thought would be the future of medicine was very fun. So basically, I just drew a doctor putting what I what I read about patches instead of needles on a little kid and just drew some representations of nanotechnologies and other biotechnologies what that I thought would be possible in the future. Uh, I'm very optimistic when it comes to what, what we can do in the future. Like, such as heard about this nanotechnology and nanobots to cure diseases and monitor health in amazing new ways. And I'm pretty sure we've all heard about the creation or vaccine for COVID-19. And I think that not only will humans eventually be able to create vaccines for even more diseases, there could also be like breakthroughs that could make vaccines easier to create, more effective and much easier to access. I read about, I know about smallpox, which is a deadly disease that was killed millions throughout history, but vaccine breakthroughs were able to eradicate it. And I think that that I could see something again in the future about a breakthrough that could save lives in a way that uh, just solves problems that are really big now, but won't be in the future. Yes, those medical advances are now and will be present in future decades as well. Especially immunology has been in the spotlight due to the COVID vaccine and also about the spread of the disease. I think many people who haven't been familiar with the world of microbiology are paying way more attention to those little guys. Kinjal, welcome on the podcast. As I've asked Brian about it, I'm interested to hear from you. What are your current passions? What have you been you doing during your scientific journey? Tell me about yourself and to the listeners, of course. I'm currently on the path of studying microbiology with a focus in food science and technology. Um, I've always been passionate about the world of science from a young age. But only recently, I discovered an interest in biotechnology and synthetic biology. I am also a member of the Synthetics Initiative, which has allowed me to express my ideas behind the ethics of synthetic biology so far. And I'm truly having a blast. I have thoroughly enjoyed meeting new people and sharing ideas that may be similar or different to mine and it's been intriguing. 
That is absolutely incredible to hear, not just that you want to focus on the professional side, being in the field of microbiology, but also establishing authentic relationships, which is such a key element, whatever field of life we are talking about. Since you've mentioned microbiology, you are currently pursuing your degree in that and food sciences as well, while you also share an interest in biotechnology. First of all, what drew you to those fields? I feel as though I find it highly interesting because it's quite an interactive field. Um, I was unsure about what I wanted to go into when I first got into university and I was studying microbiology. Um, but as I started to explore the potentials in the field, I learned more. And um, this course that was presented with Buzz Online and Synthetics really helped me to understand um, what is out there. I initially came across the course via the synthetics page and I was so intrigued and I thought to myself, you know, if I have this interest, then why not explore it? And I love how the course was taught by individuals just like the students and it created this common ground. But like Alice had mentioned, the platform itself is highly interactive and I realized quickly that there was a stark difference in what I thought I knew and what I know now so you know I I think there's like so much potential and really the sky is the limit when it comes to synthetic biology and biotechnology but um, yeah there, there's so much that's out there that you know we can like create a difference and learn through an interdisciplinary platform um but yeah I, I actually I just wanted to say thank you to Blanca Eric and all the facilitators involved in putting the course together you guys did a phenomenal job and thank you to Alice and her team for establishing this platform because it really gets people thinking about the world of biology outside of the classroom. And I think that's what truly sparked my interest. First of all, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. And in the name of the team as well. Um, and I'm so delighted that you found the interaction so useful in your own learning journey as well. I can say that the South African team in synthetics is the most extensive one. And with you and, and Rahil putting together just recently an article on the COVID vaccination, the science behind it, the ethical implications, you're truly putting into practice what you might have absorbed during the synthetics course and what you are constantly feeding yourself with in terms of scientific and ethical content. Oh, thank you. I mean, that whole journey of, you know, researching in this area doesn't feel like work it's almost just this exhilarating feeling that you get um, and I think that's the beauty behind it I even remember like when I was doing research whilst taking the course I had the opportunity to come across this, like the study that I focused on um, conducted by Mary Gearing where she looked at non-editing CRISPR complex fused with epigenetic markers in order to change gene expression 
which is quite a fascinating concept because when you think of like synthetic biology and gene editing and GMO, you think of like, oh, the change that it makes. But a lot of the times there's so much more that you could do. And like this, this technology that's being developed um, that I got interested in via doing the course and I learned about it was like how we could change the way our genes are expressed by you know using CRISPR and and genetic markers and so like I think when you look at it like that and the potential that it has it just becomes like this almost exhilarating feeling to like know more and learn more. Taking into account that you're interested in biotechnology, what is your hope for the development of these fields? What do you think, where are those scientific advancements going to be taking us in the next years slash decades? Hmm, where do I start? Um, <laughs> there's so much. Uh, but if there was one aspect I would like to see grow, develop, or even change, it would be public perception. People today are so hungry for information. The world of biotech has like so much to offer and we're able to increase awareness and potentially harness the convergence of technology to drive innovation. So it's kind of like, how do we get from point A to point B with using everyone's best method? And for instance, like, Um, If you look at the world of artificial intelligence, it utilizes many areas of innovation. And that what it does is that it gets people talking and sharing ideas from different sectors. And this brings awareness of the potentials that are in biotechnology. So there's large areas of promise and like human nature is just so inclined to think of the world of tomorrow, which drives innovation. So yeah, there's, there's so much to develop, but I think we could really like bring various areas of technology together to just create this homogenized um, innovation that, you know, tackles various areas. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's much hope. And now I'm inviting Eric and Alice into the conversation as well. So guys, how do you think that the medical field will alter in the upcoming decades? Well, I'm a biomedical engineer, so I've been kind of thinking a lot about this, especially because there's a huge hype around synthetic biology's application in medicine. Uh, But there's mostly a hype around the research and not really a, a lot of hype around the application. Uh, And that's probably because synthetic biology is quite far from being implemented into, for example, like direct medical care. What can happen is, as we spoke about previously, a faster progression of vaccine uh, developments using synthetic biology. But these kind of prosperous images of everyone being able to kind of regulate their own microbiome using synthetic biology and and those things they're quite far from the future. Uh, And as a biomedical engineer, I definitely think that was kind of closer uh, to uh, revolution in in medicine and in hospitalization is the advances of AI and the advances of IT systems and IT integration. 
so I, I definitely think that kind of the development of, of big data algorithms and machine learning algorithms will be able to personalize medicine and then using AI. And then after that, we can start to think about how advances in synthetic biology can apply using the knowledge that we've gained about personalized medicine and probably about, uh, for example, like the microbiome network and, and the interplay between kind of proteins and genes that we are able to find out through machine learning and through the applications of AI. Yes, especially since those microbial communication pathways are so intricately complex. And I also like the fact that you mentioned that it will enable the scientific community to this open source of information in terms of ML, right? So in some sort of sense, it will democratize how we process that scientific information and how we'll put it out there into the real application world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's a trait in both uh, like programming as, as an AI and machine learning, but also in synthetic biology. Synthetic biology is full of just catalogs of and open source research and open source results. So both of those new fields of research are definitely open source and more democratic and in, in ways definitely more ethic than other fields of research in, in the way that they're so transparent. It's so interesting how it's been shaped because back a few centuries ago, science has been incredibly elitist. So only the ones who had access to such delicate machineries had the ability to perform science. But now, who knows what will happen? There are people like George Church from Harvard University who wants to rewrite the entire human genome from scratch which sounds like a big plan to take on, but you know, who knows what will be possible. So now we're gonna expand on gene editing and its ethical implications. The Nobel Prize in Medicine last year was awarded for the discovery of the CRISPR-Cas9 technology. And since CRISPR has received a bit of backlash in the beginning, but I think more and more people are realizing the credible potential it entails, it would be great to put it on a scale from best to worst in terms of possibilities. So guys, what do you think? What is the best and worst case scenario you can think of using this cutting edge invention? Well, I think it is important to realize that CRISPR-Cas9 is a tool. It's not an, a product in itself. It's a tool to do whatever you want with it. So, or not whatever you want, but actually integrating foreign DNA or synthetic DNA into, into genomes. So I would definitely think that the best case scenario uh, would, in my opinion, at least for now, be to stay out of the human genome and integrate uh, kind of genes into microbes, that is bacteria, and yeast cells, uh, perhaps even in, in simpler animals, to be able to do things that we want and do things that uh, would be best for them as well, not just to help humankind, but also to help, uh, for example, animals to, say, to stay alive in new climates or microbes to thrive in climates that we create. So it's kind of a, a means to help other species to evolve faster towards adapting to the new uh, kind of anthropocentric era. Uh, I would say that, that that's kind of the best case scenario. It sounds kind of dull, but I would, I would say that there's a minimum amount of risk in this scenario and a maximum amount of, of well-being being produced in that we can have biodiversity, 
and in a way, and also kind of repay for the damage that we've done to many ecosystems as well. Yeah, I agree with what Eric said about taking it slow. I think that's the most important thing um, is to be slow and steady and very, very cautious uh, with, with making progress. And yeah, staying out of the human genome would probably be the best thing. And if we do want to address very pressing areas of demand, like um, viruses, pandemics, diseases that are very deadly to lots of people, then we can look for ways to tackle that maybe indirectly, you know, maybe through editing the genes of mosquitoes if we're talking about malaria. Uh, But also it brings up some ethical questions about um, the differences between the way we treat humans and the way we treat animals. You know, are they more open to experimentation? It seems like the history of science thinks that that is the case. Um, but that is something that we should definitely discuss as well. I agree with Eric and Alice about how the best case scenario would be to help both humans and animals, just not going too far into either using this revolutionary technology. And I think just the worst case scenario would be like the opposite, uh, failing and using this technology incorrectly to hurt both humans and animals. And I think to stop this, we just need to just do more research, be cautious, not try to go into areas that we really shouldn't go into yet. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I think one of the most riskful areas is definitely human genome editing, especially because we don't really know uh, that much about genome interactions. It wasn't, it was like, it was 20 years ago that we were able to map most of the human genome but mapping it is maybe like 0.01% of understanding it. There's such an advanced dynamic within the genome. So even trying to alter tiny bits might have repercussions that we can't even fathom today and and might be repercussions that we won't even see for 30 years. So we might might think that we're totally fine in in editing some parts of the genome, but which which turns out to to be false. That would be absolutely morally devastating for all of humankind if that was the case. So I definitely agree with both Alice and Brian in in kind of taking that safe route instead. And uh, and yeah, but it's, it's at the same time what Alice says is difficult. How, how should we experiment on animals if we if we can't do it on ourselves? So it's definitely a difficult question. Yeah, and I think the one thing to think about, too, is that there are very few paths forward um, where we're bringing benefit to humanity. But there's really kind of, to me, there's there's an infinite uh, potential for harm and destruction um, with technology. So, so that's why it would be advisable to go forward slowly um, is because, you know, there's not really a net. Uh, below us, catching us if if we happen to veer off the right path. Um, and yeah, so I, I could definitely see the worst case scenario um, being like dystopian sci-fi, you know, a cyberpunk world where we find this technology is, is being traded like any commodity and this exacerbates sort of the inequality that already exists because people who are born into wealth are able to edit their genes to give themselves an advantage. Um, But beyond inequality, even I think that, you know, there are a lot of ways that this technology can be used by people to harm each other. 
Um, and so I think what's important going forward is that we need to create a real cultural emphasis on transparency and uh, regulation and discussion like we're doing now, as well as systems to implement those values um, in order to avoid disaster. And I think the worst thing we can do right now is to wait until something bad happens to talk about the ethics. With looking at how to move forward with CRISPR um, and you know the best we could do with this tool, my opinion may be a little bit different to what was expressed, but I believe as a community, we need to look at ways to effectively include CRISPR as a sustainable environmental technology. The reason being is the greatest pressing challenge we face is the current climate crisis. We need to find ways to minimize our effect on climate. And I see CRISPR as a potential and effective tool to combat the current crisis. So um, I don't know if you remember, but I recall in the course we spoke about genetically engineering trees to maximize carbon dioxide absorption, which would in turn reduce global CO2 concentrations. Um, and, and this is just like when I when I heard about this concept, I was so interested. And then it kind of just like sparked ideas about there's so much potential that we could do using CRISPR. So we could look at like GM algae or phytoplankton that could eliminate microplastics, paving the way for sustainable agriculture via GM crops. We need to act fast, but there's lots we could look into and experiment on while still trying to solve our environmental crisis. And um, whilst I was, you know, doing research for the course, the Buzz Online course, I came across researchers in the Netherlands and they looked at how we could potentially replace plastic by genetically engineering certain fungi to grow their mycelium fibers that would be used as a plastic substitute. So it's such cutting edge innovation that could give answers to our current war on climate change and that, for me, would be the potential that is seen with CRISPR. The, the best scenarios would be to, you know, use this to use this tool to fight, you know, a, a, this global war on climate change. Like so much potential, but when we use our innovations to now um, move towards an area that is dealing with an issue, be it, you know, social issue or political issue, um, one that everybody is dealing with, we kind of become these superheroes in disguise. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's nice to have that at the back of your mind that you, you're moving towards a common goal. But then again, when looking at CRISPR, doing like the course, it really makes you understand about all the other stuff that goes behind, um, you know, the world of gene editing and synthetic biology. And, you know, at times we predict, like, what would happen if we encounter mistakes with gene editing technologies. So 
thinking about going back to the original question about you know the best case and worst case so i i was thinking about okay what are the potential downfalls and there, there's a lot but solely due to the the nature of this innovation we can't really predict certain outcomes and adverse effects due to genetic mistakes but then again i always like to think of biology as like slightly volatile i mean looking at like the global pandemic and stuff the the study of synthetic biology and genetics is fluid and it's highly unpredictable so sometimes one small change could result in like completely different outcomes and we may not know the extent to which it could affect an organism and so many questions like oh can this mistake be reversed what are the side effects there needs to be strategies that are put into place in order to minimize the effect of like a mutation perhaps and um it can get quite controversial when we talk about okay so like gene editing we run the risk of having genetic mutations what would that mean but that's where the discussion of ethics would come in it's great that you've alluded to all the countless applications of what genetic engineering can entail, because now researchers all around the world hope to use it to alter human genes to eliminate diseases, and it's been successful with sickle cell anemia that could not have been cured just a few years back, or create hardier plants, fight of pathogens, and so forth. But there are also some biological implications. Scientists are concerned about possible off-target effects and immune reactions that could increase even the risk of cancer as well. In terms of societal issues, it could widen the gap between the classes, so there would be a class who receives some kind of benefit, and we should not be solely targeting genetic enhancements, but also gene editing tools. Alice, you've mentioned the net that could essentially catch us, but we do not have it now. So what do you think, guys? What are some of the realizable steps we can take now to prevent the worst-case scenarios, create some strategies, guidelines to provide this ethical balance in terms of scientific research? One of the safety nets that could be applied, uh, and not only applied to, to kind of the white-coated researchers, but also to philosophers, are computer simulations. We've recently had a breakthrough in protein folding by kind of cracking the code of protein folding, which was thought to be one of the hardest problems in, in biology for a long time and in proteomics. Uh, and, and that kind of shows how fast uh, advances in computer science is going. And if we're able to simulate uh, just how one protein is folding. Well, the next step is to simulate how a cell behaves, not only in kind of the macro structure, but down to the, to the scale of, of single genes and single proteins. And the step after that is modeling and simulating smaller organisms. Then after that comes animals, humans. Uh, and at, at some point, we will be able to simulate large enough systems to test out what the outcome of of, of kind of an invention would be or what the outcome of uh, editing one gene would be. And we wouldn't only have to, and we want to only be able to check how that in, influenced the cell or the, the uh, animal or plant in which we edited. 
we would also see how it would affect, for example, biodiversity and how it would affect the ecosystem around it if our simulation is large enough. So I would say that a safety net that will be one of the most potent safety net in the future would be computer simulations. Uh, but there's, of course, a, like right now we're still figuring out how to just fold a single protein and actually get that folding correct. So obviously it's a tremendous step, but the speed at which development is going right now within the field, I would say that it's definitely possible to have such large simulations within a reasonable, a reasonable amount of time, maybe 20 years or so. And yeah, as I said, I, I definitely think that's one of the most potent safety nets in, in the near future. It's great that you mentioned that we can use computer simulations and we don't have to go to the lab to test on real animals or heck even people to test our hypotheses. And it's been an innovative method actually recently in the US that instead of fixing each mutation individually, they use CRISPR to cut at 12 strategic mutation hotspots to target muscular dystrophy, this muscular disease, instead of trying out all the possible combinations, which could have been added up to 3,000. And Alice, I know you're invested in combining science and the humanities. So what do you think from a societal aspect or more personal levels, how can people absorb the innovations of synthetic biology while keeping the human morals on a more acceptable base? Yeah, that's the golden question, isn't it? Um, how do we remain human while we invent all of these new technologies that bring us farther and farther away from our roots? Um, I think that humans have a natural tendency toward morality and um, and toward the values that we've instilled for ourselves, but it's easily eroded, in my opinion. I think that um, I think that there will always be, you know, artists and scientists who are keen on ethics and who really care about this stuff and who can have conversations and produce creative works. Um, that are inspiring and that guide us back to our core morals. But at the same time, there are structures in society that are set up with different incentives and you know, less human incentives, uh, like money-making, corporate structures, um, even structures of power and control that take advantage of the more, um, the, the more greedy sides of human nature. So I think that in order to move forward in a way that uh, maintains our humanity and, you know, really makes sure that humans, even, even if we are capable of surviving, that we survive in a way that it's worthwhile. Um, I think that in order to do that, we have to put an emphasis on communication uh, about technology, you know. I feel like there's a sort of a divide going on between the sciences and the arts. You know, people in the arts feel like science is some opaque topic that uh, only a, a certain group of people can understand. And hopefully the things that we're doing here, like this podcast, can erode away at that divide. Um, but with this sort of resentment building, I don't think it's productive uh, for society because that conversation has to go on in order for us to reconcile this technological development with our more human sides. So, so really an emphasis on um, people who are working in the intersection of science and art uh, and creating conversation there is important going forward. 
100% conversing and sharing ideas and sort of creating this open access to knowledge and ethics as well, which I believe you're doing at STEMAG, bringing the science and ethics closer together, especially with a new competition coming up that has an extended date now until May. Would you like to say a few words about the competition? It's such an important initiative, especially in the times we're living in today. The competition is called Flatten the Curve. And essentially what we're trying to do is encourage people to use creativity and combine that with scientific concepts um, in order to spread awareness about two very important challenges that humanity faces today, which is COVID-19 as well as climate change. So for both of those, we have to flatten the curve, right? You know, we have to flatten the curve of carbon emissions, but also coronavirus cases. And that's the common theme underlying uh, both of these problems. And the idea is that people should submit art or writing or multimedia or anything that they think is creative um, and that also uses scientific concepts in order to examine these these issues and their implications for uh, our society as well as you know equality and our future so that's what we're taking is we're taking those kinds of creative submissions it can really be anything though like it can be a podcast episode it can be a research project anything that employs some level of creativity in order to address the issues I'm loving that you provide such an open and safe space for students to experiment with ideas and use any creative tool they can find to express their opinion. And it's also international, so anyone inside of the U.S., outside of the U.S. can apply. And the students can not only enjoy the creative process and the journey that it will go through, but I think it's really worth looking into in terms of the prize as well. So I will definitely link the application and direct people towards this wonderful opportunity. And now, Brian, I would like to ask you, since you're a bit younger than us, and you've been studying about ethics. So in terms of ethics in general, what is its importance uh, when it comes to sharing conversations with your peers? Do they want to know more about ethics? Is it a moral guideline? Ethics is another part of science that you really can't ignore. And I think about ethics, it's important to converse with others, even if they're not part of the science field, because everyone can have their own opinions on ethics about what is right and what is wrong. So even if they don't know anything about and much about science, communication, like Alice and Eric said before, is going to be very important with in other fields. Yes, and since there's so much buzzing in the world, the news sites are flooded with information, our happenings should be translated and digested in this moral framework and provide values, not just for ourselves, but for our friends as well, open up new conversations that go deeper than the surface. We've touched on some delicate topics. Uh, we've achieved that on this podcast, I think. So a fitting closing question would be, what is one misconception about science that you would like others to change and why? I could start off by saying my, or the misconception that I would like to change the most, and that is that science science is static. I think a lot of people who's not really into research, who doesn't read research, and who doesn't know the history of of academic research, thinks that once a theory is settled, then it's settled forever. 
And then what happens is that science kind of becomes an ideology for other people. It's an ideology which is static, kind of uh, like many other, many other ideologies. And that's really the farthest from the truth. Science is not static. It's the most kind of dynamic concept. It's, it's, it's saying that if we find something new, then which doesn't agree with what we know so far, well, then we, we, we accept the new thing and we just abandon everything else because that's the, the most current evidence we have. And, and yeah, and I think that's really a dangerous thing to think that that's something is static, to think that science is static. And, and I think if more people understood the dynamics behind science, and I think this is kind of happening now behind COVID, but when everyone is starting to realize that what we know about the virus kind of changes all the time and the facts kind of change all the time. And I think that's really healthy uh, because a, a system that allows for change is a system which is the closest to the truth. And uh, so, yeah, I would, I would want for everyone to understand that science is extremely dynamic and has no kind of eternal truths. Yeah, I absolutely agree with what Eric said. And along those lines, I think that another misconception um, that I'd, I'd like for people to you know, understand is that science is not some foreign, opaque topic that uh, you know, normal people aren't supposed to understand. Um, it, there's sort of this misconception out there that it's like you know, the new God and it's entirely objective and ruling our world. Um, when in reality, I think science is very intimately tied with the humans behind the work and um, the human impact that new technologies can create. Um, and I think everyone, as well as society as a whole, would benefit from being a part of the scientific conversation. I also would like to agree with what Eric and Alice had to say. Uh, my own misconception about science that I would like people to change would basically be that science is like a super difficult topic that they're not going to understand because it's not really if you it's kind of like a way of thinking that everyone can do i'm a 10th grade student i'm not some sort of mega genius like i mentioned before a lot of the things about biotechnology research i've just seen online not like doing research on it myself but i feel that anyone can go online especially today with the age of information at our fingertips we can just Go, do some more research, do uh, things ourselves, and find out about what you're interested in. Well, I think science in general, especially biotechnology and synthetic biology, can appear quite daunting to many. But I agree, having open conversations and engaging in these global dialogues could help bring awareness to the information that may be misleading or misunderstood. So science is not always like black and white. There's all this gray in between that we're trying to discover and explore. So when we actively engage in conversation and people's opinions, we we are able to tap into what we don't know and what we should probably find answers to. Uh, another misconception is like many people think, oh, science is just limited to grade eight chemistry experiments, photosynthesis and Newton's laws, and that's it. But there's so much more, and we just need to find 
more innovative ways to get the conversation started that would engage audiences across all boards from history to the arts, which is what Alice is looking into, and where there exist the pockets of interest for everyone to engage in. I'm loving all the advice you shared. Uh, first of all, that science is dynamic and it's connected with humans and we should share more conversation and that we have access to science at our fingertips. And I think what a great encouragement is that we can take our initiative and dive deep into more complex topics in the STEM field and the scientific realm, but also not forgetting about the ethical implications and thinking about some future case scenarios, which we also achieved on this podcast. Thank you for sharing all your wonderful takes on on such a diverse topic. Yeah, thank you for having me today. Thank you for hosting this. You know, this is the type of platform that we need to have conversations like this. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and more. If you want to show your support and be updated on all the news, make sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a review, which would ultimately help the algorithm to bring the message to even more people and inspire many. Follow the pod on Instagram and Facebook as well. As always, Thank you for taking a few moments of science with us and stay tuned for the next episode.